0: Do you not remember having this conversation 30 seconds ago? <laughs> like
1: literally 30 seconds ago? Is there a lag? Is there an audio lag? It feels like there is if that's the case because I didn't hear it in unison. Or maybe it's my brain.
0: of Riley's Reptiles
1: and this is Andrew Ray of Area Reptiles welcome
0: welcome to the, to reptile, the reptile Room podcast, room
1: podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we still didn't get it damn it
0: damn all right let's try it one more time
1: all right <laughs> I, I gotta stop laughing I'm starting to feel them oh okay okay I'm good. This is I got, a big ah! ass <laughs> I got a big ass smirk on my face right now. <laughs>
0: I can feel it, you <laughs> bastard. i slap it right off you.
1: Oh, I love it. All right. I'm so not ready. <laughs> You're a pro. Think like a pro. Think like a pro. Yeah, then you hired the wrong person. That's on you. Yep. <sighs> okay. Do you want me
0: to just say it?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> are we are we giving up already? <laughs>
0: no, oh. we got we got one more in
1: us. We got we got one more. Come on,
0: yeah, let's do All it. All right,
1: hold on, hold on.
0: Slap yourself.
1: Ah, okay. Estoy listo. Vamos. Let's just go with however it comes out.
0: <laughs> All right. Shit. Yeah. Okay. Just don't. Well, I'm just gonna try not to swear. We're just gonna laugh. And, right. one day, and one day we'll actually get a nice recording and we'll put it in before every episode so we don't have to do it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: All right, cool. This is Riley Jimison of Riley's Reptiles.
1: And this is Andy Ray of Area Reptiles. Welcome. Welcome to the Reptile, to the reptile Room
0: Podcast. <laughs>
1: Dude, <laughs> what's up? <laughs> we had it. Oh we my are, goodness. That,
0: that was the closest we've gotten.
1: That was pretty close. I was trying to time myself to your welcome. And yeah, we got, we're, we're there. We're close.
0: I feel like <laughs> on my end, the timing was good. And then like you just didn't say the last like word and a half. You're just like, ah. Oh, and you just kind of duffed it on the follow through.
1: <laughs> I, I think I did. I think that's
0: I did. okay. That's okay. We, we all have our moments. Anyway, uh, welcome man. everyone to episode two <laughs> of the <laughs> Reptile Room podcast. And as you can tell, We're only two episodes We're not even two episodes in. We are starting the second episode.
1: We're barely into the second
0: episode. (laughs) And and we are chock full of surprises that not even we can
1: prepare for. Oh, I'm telling you. Struggling.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, are we all, right? So... Good struggles. Good struggles.
1: Yeah. Fun times. It's it's all fun. Yeah. It's not like
0: (laughs) anything I'm losing sleep over, that's for sure. But we sound like... uh, We've never talked on any sort of digital recording device before. That's for sure. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This is my first time talking on a phone. I've never been on a telephone before. Apparently, I don't know my timing well. (laughs) Yeah. No kidding. But... Somehow we pulled it off on uh, on a couple podcasts um, that are not our own, so maybe it it's like we're doomed to like screw up our own podcast, but not other people's.
1: But not other people's. I think that's because we were probably trying not to... We were trying really hard not to screw up their podcasts.
0: I mean, I wouldn't say we're trying to screw up our podcasts intentionally. I think we just are. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's just happening it's just yeah. organically happening that's I us mean, man <laughs> but that's that's life
0: but yeah i mean we we were uh we 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 chatted with the boys from the Herpeticulture podcast jake and justin and that was um, a lot of fun yeah good dudes it's always you know talk about improvising and and just coming up with casual banter and making it you know fun and informative and good content those guys have that in spades
1: yeah yeah they do a great job on that and it, it was just so much fun to just finally be able to just connect with them in chatting with them that just for me solidified that part of the friendship you know what I mean because you know we're friends with all kinds of people online and Instagram and Facebook and everything but until you actually get a chance to talk to people uh, in our instance and well I mean you've already chatted with them but for me it was the first time talking with them on air and that was just such a great time man. just I'm looking forward to doing it again for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I'm I mean, excited to get them on air with us in the near oh, yeah, future. That yeah. that's going to be good stuff. Yeah, we'll do
0: it. We'll definitely. There will be multiple multiple revisions of that. I mean, what's funny is um, even from an outside perspective, you can tell that the folks that are involved in reptile podcasting all sort of communicate with one another, and they sort of inevitably become friends. And a lot of folks end up end up just sort of becoming organic, natural buddies that way and would help each other out, but then have like playful banter and like little competitions and things like that. And, and now, you know, here we are on the precipice of coming into 2020 and we're talking about the uh, the reptile podcast games, you know, where we can have like an annual Potentially annual yeah. competition of the uh, the podcast minds to, to just bring everyone together for a good old time. So, but no, it's cool, man. We're in like a really a rich, exciting age of, of new content coming out all the time and new ways to uh, to connect with everyone. You know i got my I got my, uh, my Bachelor of Science in in uh, Global and International Studies, and after graduation, it was kind of like, "What the heck do I do with this?" <laughs> and I kind of just like you know made the most of it with what I could, but you know ultimately had to just juggle life. And here I am, sitting in uh, something that I consider a, a hobby, a passion, a love of mine, um, an industry, a community, and a network that is global. And it's yeah, kind, it's kind of ironic how that worked out. Um, you know that's what I majored in, and that's what I do for fun in my life. So it's very interesting, but uh,
1: it yeah. came full circle for you, man.
0: It really did, you yeah. know. Hell and yeah. uh, and and getting back to you know the whole podcasting, the the gentleman at NPR who uh, I consider the the reptile podcast godfathers, Eric and Owen. They're going the, on, the oh, geez, yeah, they're about to start their ninth year, dude, nine that's uh, nuts yeah the, I mean the, like the, they're, they're what they're... we
1: call in the streets the the veteranos <laughs>
0: yes yes it, 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 uh, try again uh, <laughs> oh damn uh,
1: <laughs>
0: la calle In <laughs> la calle si um,
1: <laughs> we'll dang, teach you that...
0: Spanish in no time <laughs> uh, the sad part is I took like three years of it in college <laughs> um no but those guys
1: uh that was fun man that that was was a lot of fun fun.
0: yeah that holiday show was great everybody should go listen to that one that got out of control pretty quick
1: that that was just awesome and again man so many thanks to eric and owen uh for i mean honestly riley dude you know without me coming on board with you to do this like i wouldn't have connected with justin and jacob and now be chatting with them and messenger and stuff like that, chatting with Eric and, you know, that probably wouldn't have happened because I just don't put myself out there like that. So and to be able to get on their show and, and just chit chat with them and hear what they have to say it was so much fun. That was so cool to just just that banter and the good times.
0: Yeah, and and it's interesting because like from a distance, it's really hard to gauge who these people really are, right? And so over time, we create these sort of fantastical personas of who we think these people are in our heads and inevitably like some of the people we look up to or the guys that have been doing this a long time before us sort of hold them in high regard and um we end up creating this sort of like godlike thing for them so then when we meet them we're we're starstruck as if we've just met like a rock star or something but then when you get to know them <laughs> they're yeah. just normal people like us and yeah, um man that's like the most exciting thing because then all of a sudden you can let your guard down. You can be really comfortable and honest and open. And that's when everything starts flowing. And, uh, and by the time people hear this, um, we will have also hopefully, uh, hopped on to our our friends, Joe and Melissa's podcast from the ground up. They've been doing it for a while too. And, um, I've been on their podcast in the early years when they were first starting out and they're wonderful wonderful people and then I had the pleasure of meeting them at Northeast Carpet Fest at Eric's place this past June. Um, That was also when I finally got to first in person meet quite a few people including Eric Owen, Scott Borden, Nick Scali, other buddy as he's called on NPR, um, Stephen Poole, Ryan Cox, uh, Jacob Bratz was there. Uh, Dude, I... I mean, so many people. It was overwhelming. Uh, friggin' Jason Balin was there. Um, Tony Jerome. Uh, dude, like, so many people. Like, all these names. Like, I would have to go back and look at the photo because there was 120 people in it. But it was amazing putting faces to names in person. And, uh, and just the fact that there's a couple, like, close-knit, woven communities within like reptile keeping and the digital realm of like podcasts as well as YouTube and other things like that I mean it's just like the closest thing to family that you can get but it's just absolutely worldwide and it's really cool so yeah like there's so much inspiration we can draw around us from all of these shows and it's just been a ton of fun so Pretty cool to be able to be sitting in on the other side, hopefully putting out content that other people can get the same sort of positive experiences from.
1: Due to a little bit of a technical difficulty on my side, um, let's just go ahead and and move on from, (laughs) yes, I'm going to agree with everything that you said about (laughs) PhD and NPR and From the Ground Up or FTGU, all of that, everything you said, yes, I agree. And we're still going to beat all their asses at the podcast games.
0: Oh, yeah. How about that? (laughs) I got my gym membership going. I've been going to the gym every day or every other day, almost most of the time, sort of.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You can't say that out loud in public. Come on. This is four times a day and even on my breaks. Yeah. Yeah. No, what well, he no. said.
0: I bench press one hundred. <laughs> I bench press one hundred pounds sulcata's at work every day.
1: That's right. That's I right. I grab I grab Bubba
0: by the by the carapace. I flip him over and I say, "Bubba, I'm gonna get fifteen reps out of you."
1: Let's do this.
0: He's one hundred and five <laughs> pounds. Um, no, but yeah, no. There's a lot of good shows that come before us, so uh, tip of the cap to those folks and Absolutely. everyone comes after us as well. But today, or this evening, or this morning, or whatever time of day, year, or calendar unit you respectfully (laughs) go by, we are going to sort of kick off a series of hours that will, it'll sort of be a recurring theme, we'll bring it up frequently, and we'll revisit it from time to time, like in between guests, or if we want to break up a sort of A long train of certain topics just to sort of add some more variety in there we'll definitely revisit this because we've got quite a list going i just sort of went to town on it and he added something before we knew it uh it was really long uh it was definitely not just going to be one episode so thus this series has been born and it's it's kind of fitting given the name of uh the show so this will be our, our reptile room essentials series. So this is a series on kind of what we consider. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff, man. Cause it's like the underdogs of the room. It's the little tools yep. and things that we overlook that when we don't have them, we're, we're up, you know, up shit Creek without a paddle essentially. Yep. So it's the good stuff. So, and this is, this is a really fun one cause there's no right or wrong. And it's it's only got the potential to really teach us some cool stuff and open our eyes to more stuff, especially if we can get some insight from everybody else. Like if you're listening, yeah. if you're listening to this and you've heard us talk about like our our topic suggestions or the emails or the social media accounts, you can even throw out there some of your favorite, you know, uh, tools around your room that like you can't live without or that make your life that much easier. But yeah, this will be sort of like our flagship series of, of the reptile room essentials.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think one thing that this, that everybody just needs to remember is that whether it's a large breeding facility, you know, big professional breeding facilities, or if it's just your small little corner in your apartment or in your home, doesn't matter. That's the, the size or scale of your reptile room doesn't matter. This is going to be something that can relate to everybody. Size does not matter. That's right. <laughs> and I'm sticking to it, damn it. Uh,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: Spoken like a married man.
1: That's, Just kidding, right.
0: That's Just kidding. right. Just kidding. Just kidding. But uh, yeah, so today we're going to kick off uh, what was just going to be sort of a, a one-off, uh, it's now going to be a part one of sort of an indefinite series that, that we're calling this, uh, The Reptile Room Essentials. And we have this sort of quick bulleted list of, of a semi-organized thought process here. And uh, with the, the intent in answering this one big sort of big picture question, of uh, what do you, what do you need or what goes into establishing your reptile room and like what does that mean? So that that's kind of our goal here.
1: Yeah, and I think that's one thing that I, we were talking about this before we started recording and this really is something that could almost go on indefinitely. I mean, my snake rooms over the years have evolved so much you know, trial and error, you know, if there's something that I've done that just doesn't work, I want to share that with you. You know, I want to share that with the audience. I want them to, to, to know why it didn't work for me. And it's going to be such a great way for us to connect with people from not just all over the country, but really the awesome thing about podcasts, is you can connect with people from all over the world. Something that may not work for me on the West coast of the United States may work perfectly for somebody on the East Coast or from somebody in Britain or, you know, somebody in Australia. So that'll be really cool for us to be able to, to get in on what our essentials are individually, but then collectively how those essentials work or don't work. And then also taking into account where exactly uh, we are regionally. But I, I think the the best place to start when we're really talking about a reptile room or Our little reptile space when you're planning a reptile room i think we have to start with the number one thing is what species are we talking about
0: yeah that's uh i mean it doesn't seem like an important question if you're just like oh i'm just gonna go grab a couple snakes from you know the pet store or i'm gonna go get my first pet snake Uh, and you haven't really thought that through i guarantee you most people when they first got their first snake they were not thinking about, well, is the place I intend on putting this animal adequate?
1: I certainly did not. Absolutely, you're right. And I think that that's probably, I, you know, I, it's hard to put a number on stuff like that. But I really do think that most people don't think about that. They're going to think about, I'm really excited about this, this creature. And uh, I love this snake. It, it's perfect. It, everything about it, I'm super excited. I'm going to get it but they don't actually think, where is this snake or lizard or amphibian, whatever that reptile or herp might be, where is it gonna go? Where am I going to be caring for it? And I think that's one of the most critical things that as keepers, we have to think about. And if it's not something that you thought about before, that's fine, it's, not, it's, it's okay. That's what we're here is to help kind of facilitate that learning process of how your keeping begins to evolve the more mature you become as a keeper. You start thinking about, well, where exactly is it going to go? Because there are definitely some species I cannot keep in my reptile room the way that it's currently kept now.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I definitely didn't um, say like, well, uh, at at eight or nine years old, I wasn't thinking, (laughs) well, uh, the upstairs bedroom in my dad's duplex is perfect for a California native colubrid species. Anything <laughs> other would be much more excessive uh, workload than my dad is willing to put in when I'm not there. So <laughs> that's why yeah. I got a California king No, not at all.
1: <laughs>
0: no. So exactly. But, but now, right, and now at this level, it's it's uh, super obvious to me. But it's like amazing how much I had to go through to learn that
1: know so yeah and and i i think we need to be more patient with newer keepers also i i hey i i have definitely not been patient with new keepers at times when when it's the obvious to us now but it's not obvious to somebody that's excited that might be looking at their first ball python or their first corn snake or king snake sure. or whatever it is it's not obvious to them where they're going to be keeping that snake and and Uh man, I can't tell you how many times I've seen some some just bashing happening online and I hey, I've done it myself and so I'm not I'm not going to excuse myself. Sure. But I will you know it's it's something that we need to just kind of step back and be like, okay, where were we twenty years ago or fifteen years ago or ten years ago? And how can we help the community, the reptile community right now, where where we are now to help realize that. Because I I do find some people online that actually do reach out to different groups of the species that they're interested in, start asking those questions before they've ever ever even purchased their animals. And I think that is amazing. I think that's like that's those are the people that we should be jumping out to and just being like, man, I commend you for being way better already than I was at that time in my (laughs) keeping experience, you know?
0: Yeah, for sure it's 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 easy to to lose sight of that you know when you get a couple of years into your routine and you're just sort of going with your rhythm you know you, it's really easy to just get so tunnel vision looking forward to forget about you know
1: where we came from exactly
0: yeah for <laughs> sure we all get there definitely yeah it's, but it's like you said it's definitely a healthy practice to uh help foster um in the next wave of of keepers cuz ultimately they're the ones who are going to continue progressing what what we're you know ultimately trying to continue to grow and fight for and keep keep our rights available to to even keep these animals in some
1: circumstances so yeah definitely i i agree but yeah and le- the leading them to the right information absolutely has been Probably one of the biggest things that I've tried to transition into probably in the last Mm -hmm. maybe five plus years is understanding that there's still a lot of information I don't know. And when newcomers, when I'm seeing newcomers, if there's information I don't know, is trying to keep track of the people that I know I can count on to give them the right information. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a lot. Like, there's a ton of information out there. There's a ton of misinformation out there. And then there's yeah. a ton of, uh, of missing information, you know? So I,
1: I'm not so concerned about the missing information, though, Riley, because the missing information is what drives our, our you know, people like Daniel to go out there and do the research on chondros and fill in the gaps those kinds of people are going to always be there when there's missing information it's the misinformation and the people that keep spewing it that's what bothers the shit out of me i get really sick and tired of people that are just regurgitating information because they may have seen it in another group but then when you call them out on that and they're not willing to listen i wish somehow there was like a control like control alt a and delete all of the bad information out there that's online because man it's hard to sift through that if you're a newbie and you and you're coming at this with with a good intention and a good heart on like hey i really want to take care of my corn snake and you got 15 or 20 different people coming at you with different opinions how, how do you decipher which ones which what, what's what
0: yeah for sure i mean uh i had somebody message me today saying they had a certain size enclosure, and they're looking for a baby carpet python because they were curious about getting a an interactive python. But they've read so much varying information that they were sitting there telling me they've read information about like, you know, a ten foot animals. I was just. Like, <laughs> It's like, what? I started off as like, I want a what?
1: 10-foot coastal.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, it definitely happens. I've seen the guys out in Australia catching, you know, the rare 9-foot, 10-foot coastal, you know. But, uh, you know, everybody getting into carpet Pythons hears that at one point or another, and it was just interesting. So, I just, you know, replied. I was like, you know, good evening. I've actually never seen a 10-foot carpet Python.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
0: I just haven't. I've never seen one in person. You know, I've seen photos of right. things that are told to be close to it or that size, but like you know, I don't even have anything over seven feet, and yeah. that's a that's a big difference. So there's a lot of misinformation out there for sure, but it's just it's a, it's an interesting time because you know when you're looking into getting your first snake or your first reptile or your first frog or your first tarantula or scorpion or something it's hard to know who's a reputable source and who isn't and right you know like you can look at hundreds of websites and see like okay who's got for sale ads on there who looks like a homegrown sort of organically made self-taught website who's you know looks like they've copied and pasted something off wikipedia and then you can sort of sift through that And figure out who's who, and then you can go to local shows. They should have them in your area. In this day and age, there's like a dozen of shows every weekend, everywhere in the country. So you should be able to, for the most part, depending on what you're looking for, be able to get at least a handful of good resources unless you're looking for something super obscure and rare. But usually that's not the case when you're first getting into keeping reptiles, right? It may be something high-end, but not rare. So, yeah, step one is is figuring out what what are you going to keep and where are you getting it from? Yeah.
1: Where are you getting it from? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and and for the newcomers and even people that, you know, I'm going to I'm going to include myself in this situation because I'm not somebody that goes out there very often and, and puts myself out there to get to know various breeders or get to know various people that there's times I don't know some of these people that are online. And Until somebody that I know or that I trust that tells me, hey, FYI, you should probably steer clear, I don't think twice about it until you start diving a little bit deeper. But for somebody that's new coming into this hobby that doesn't know anybody, I, I, need to, I need to just warn those newcomers. Just take a little bit of extra time, ask a little few more questions, and then just reach out to a few other people to just verify it's nothing, there's nothing wrong. I mean, if you really wanted to ask me or Riley, hey, what do you think about this person? If we don't know who they are, we don't mind asking other people to see who they are in the hobby. We want you to be able to trust somebody that's reputable and that knows what they're doing and that knows what they're talking about. At the end of the day, I don't care if somebody's losing a sale and I might hurt that person's feelings because if I don't trust them, or if they're not considered a reputable breeder, guess what? I'm not going to refer people to them. I'm going to refer them to somebody I trust that's going to treat this newbie the right way. So, um, but in any case, man, that that was a crazy tangent on on how <laughs> newbies newbies can can get you know uh, steered in the wrong direction. It happened to me. I, I've right. had I I mean I've had carpet pythons since you know 2000. I mean, my oldest carpet python just passed away this year. I don't want to get into it too much because then I might get emotional because he meant a lot to me. But even getting back into the social media side of things, I considered myself a newbie at that point. Had I, I had been keeping for literally decades, and but I still considered myself a newbie and I wanted to get into carpet pythons. And it took reaching out to a few people. And thankfully, I got connected with with. I wanted jungles. I wanted to focus my efforts into jungles. And I was lucky enough to get connected with a few people I trust, like Andrew Paris, David Mm. Hastings, you know, people, Mike cross was another one that was really important to, 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 you know, in the jungle community that kind of helped steer and, and they weren't even saying, Hey, buy for me, you know, and only for me, it wasn't even like that at all. So just, I just really want to put that, that, that firm warning to newcomers if they're listening to this podcast and even people that have been keeping for a long time. If you're online, don't just trust anybody because they're nice to you in on Facebook.
0: <laughs> Truth.
1: D- d- dig a little bit deeper. Make sure that wow. they're actually who they are, who they say they are, and that the animals that they have are, are really truly what they are saying. They might look pretty at first, but you don't want to be stuck with thousands of dollars of vet bills after you end up receiving it. So, okay, boom, I'm going to get off the hell off that soapbox. My bad.
0: (laughs) No, you're good. Those were all valuable points. Absolutely, definitely worth bringing up, like no doubt about it. And uh, the only thing I would add is the the no-name backyard closet bedroom breeder isn't always a bad option. Right. Um, and, right, and, and, and I'm not, and I'm not saying that that wasn't you what you're getting at. I just want, you know, our listeners to hear some that, of like... them,
1: some of the finest animals out there are from mm-hmm. somebody that only has one pair of mm-hmm. say animals that they really truly went out of their way to select from breeders, say a coastal, somebody might've picked up a male from Nick mutton, and then they picked up a female from say a Balin. You know or what whatever they decided that they wanted to do was a very focused group and the only right. animals that they've produced is that one clutch. You know what? They that might be some of the best animals in the United States for the year. You never know.
0: Yeah. Just cuz it's their first
1: time breeding doesn't mean that it's that they're not worthy of being trustworthy, but that they are they do have a hey, I haven't produced carpets yet, so I I feel like I have a huge mountain to climb to get to that point where people should trust me. I don't expect people to trust me right away. Hell no, I need to earn that. And I think breeders in general, whether you're a backyard breeder or or in your closet breeder, or you're a big professional facility breeder, we need to earn the customer's trust and we need to earn that respect. It's not something that should be just automatically granted because you think you have a big name. You know what I mean? Absolutely.
0: And, And so for folks who, you know, might not have a reputation in their field of interest, the way they can communicate that to a customer is just being, being available, talking to them, you know, being straight up, being honest, sending photos, just like being real, like nothing to hide means, you know, it's very transparent to pick up even in a very limited digital communication sort of form. But yeah, there's definitely ways to do it. And it's hard when you're you know you're first producing your first couple of clutches and you have no reputation and you're producing things it's really difficult so definitely start slow but that sort of leads me into the second sort of split on the same branch here is yeah do you start with one species and get a couple of them to start and just stick in one lane and just have a couple varieties or a couple pairs or whatever it is, whether it be morphs or localities, or do you grab a pair of this, a pair of that, a pair of that? Well, you know. <laughs> um well, you That's know what's such a
1: loaded question. It
0: really is. There's so much That's... to unpack about that. Oh, you God. know, like what's the long-term plan? What's the short-term plan? What's Are you trying to make it a hobby, have it be sustainable and generate income? Are you just doing this for fun or how much are you in Like there's a lot of, a lot of questions to answer. So,
1: and I think it's important that people ask those questions though, too, because I mean, I, you know, I, I, and I can only base it off of my own experience because my, again, my reptile room has evolved over the years. It's, it's been where it was just a few cages Mm -hmm. and Then it was, oh, okay. I'm going to grab a rack also because I need some for some of my other animals. But if we really step back and look at the hobby the way that it is now, a large majority of people entering into the hobby are getting into, you know, some of the more in your face species that are going to be easy to find Mm -hmm. the case in point, say ball pythons, right? Mm -hmm. Let's just let's just roll with the sake of going with ball pythons if somebody's going to be going with ball pythons as that one species, they're going to be going after projects and morphs and different looks and different what quote unquote paint jobs. I guess what they, is that what they call them nowadays or
0: something? Yeah.
1: Um, so, but I think that's kind of going away. I think we're getting, we're getting a lot more keepers that, that, that are like, Hey, you know, I kind of really like that all black colubrid. Hey, I kind of really like that black and white colubrid and, but I also like this corn snake. And so they start seeing there's so much more out there. Yeah. And that's, that, that really quickly starts to snowball and having a focus exactly like you said, what is, what is your ultimate end game just to be able to just keep, to breed, to create a business out of it, or maybe not a business, but maybe a hobby of breeding that becomes a sustain, you know it, it it becomes to where it can sustain itself uh those are those are great questions to ask yourself ahead of time you know and again this this is going to go into whether or not we touch on it tonight or or today or whatever time you're listening like riley said maybe in another part is the planning um mm-hmm. uh, i think we should touch on it probably in this episode yeah, is definitely the planning i mean yeah. really it, it's the planning of what is your intention? These are animals. They, there is cage space you have to consider. There is, there is things that that we have to think about. So, if you're going to stick with one species, that makes life a whole hell of a lot easier. True. But if you, if you like that variety bug man life can be so exciting like that
0: (laughs) yeah so yeah your first the first thing you got to answer is are you going to stick with one lane or are you going to kind of go for the diversity thing if you're going to go for the diversity route you need to understand that your resources are going to be split up amongst however many species you're keeping whether that be food caging time energy lighting Uh, all that stuff and ultimately you will be limited by what you can keep based on your climate and the way your room functions Um, if you're doing a designated bedroom or uh, like a climate controlled shed or a garage or something insulated off the house or whatever it may be you're ultimately limited by what that climate uh, will allow so where you live your outside climate will dictate what goes on in that space, depending on how much insulation and temperature regulation you have going on there. So assuming uh, you have one space and assuming you can influence how that goes, you need to be selective about what you're keeping. So if you're going to be keeping a lot of high temperature, high humidity pythons and boas, you probably aren't going to be able to keep um, like satanic leaf geckos in that same room. That's just not going to happen. Um you yeah. won't be able to keep axolotls. You won't be able to keep, you know, cold species salamanders. Like that's just not this is not going to happen. So you really need to think about what the ambient temperature of that room is ultimately going to need to be for the majority of your animals and whether or not all these other species or varieties will mesh in with that if you're going with a diverse route if you're going with the solo species route or like a
1: hand and that's hard too man that's that's hard too because i mean i can't tell you how many times yeah Yeah. i mean and but you you really have to think about it at the end of the day what's the best option for the animals that you have in mind and If you have the space and you don't have to stick within that that reptile room, and you and you say, okay, I'm going to dedicate this little space in my living room for, say, my satanic leaf tails. Awesome, but you have to make sure that you really are making the right choice in where they're going to go. That's that's hard, man. Trying to trying to trying to really break down your room and say, I can't keep this, this, and this, but damn it. I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to give it a good, good go anyway.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no shame. in that's
1: bit me in the ass more, more than once, man. And, and,
0: and those are the learning curves we all go through. There's no shame in bringing on a species that you want to try that you think might work and failing at it, like failing at it. Ultimately, what that tells you is it gives you a, a more precise idea of what your room is doing it sort of narrows down your limitations and your climate parameters a bit more at the very least um so it's really you know there's no there's nothing to be ashamed of in in trying a species and finding out it just doesn't work in your style of keeping or your climate um you know and then within your room you can also manage micro climates a little bit to a degree like you know florida ceiling. yeah yeah. Like, great
1: point. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Like
0: if you're run if that bedroom or whatever has hardwood or tile floor or something like that, you can guarantee the, the bottom of your stack of enclosures or rack is going to be much colder than the top of it. And uh, there's just, you know, little things you can do like that in a room that allow you to play within a certain temperature range. So if you have a species that needs to uh, experience cooler nights or a cooler winter at certain times by just a couple of degrees, you can house them.
1: Yeah, put them at, lower.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So you can, yeah. you can play within that a little bit, but, you know, you got to pay attention to some certain details along the way, like, what is the floor of that room like? How many windows are there? Does that uh, wall of the room get direct sunlight at any point of the day? How's the ventilation?
1: Oh, good point.
0: So yeah. there's a lot. And then ultimately, like you can test all of that when the room is empty. And then once you bring racks or cages and enclosures and animals and heating and all this stuff in, everything changes again. So everything, everything changes. That, everything that you measured is just irrelevant at that point um, because you've yeah.
1: changed the dynamic of the airflow and heat and all that good stuff. So um, a, a, great, a, a great testament to what you were just saying for me this year. With keeping adult Kankakee bull snakes, so so Pichuophis, uh in general, they don't like to be hot like a python in no. a boa. They, they really pissed. don't. I mean, they can. They yeah, can. They can take it. But they're but angry. They, they really oh, they're angry? Like they're, no, they don't, man, because they're, they're constantly hungry and their metabolism just spikes and everything you feed them goes through them. I mean, it's like a straw. It's like mm-hmm. ingestion digestion poop like within days if it's yep. too hot yep and it's really not good for them it really isn't if you really think about it if you look at the temperatures of where they're coming from but anyway uh, before we go into that tangent mm-hmm. so i had to look at my room and i ended up getting some new racks and i went hold on a second here i'm struggling with maintaining the same gradients uh In a couple of my racks, the very bottom two tubs were always consistently colder. um, Any anywhere from between like eight to ten degrees colder at times, and I was like, "Holy crap! That's yeah, that's a lot, right?" I'm thinking now again going into the reptile room and talking about flooring. Right now, my reptile room is, in my opinion. And in many people's opinion, I mean, everybody should be able to look inside here and go, yeah, homie, you need to complete this room. It's (laughs) not complete. So it is on a, on a, on a concrete slab and there, and I need to finish the flooring in here. Uh, I've talked to uh, Andy Grossman. Andy Grossman's really awesome with, with just being able to shoot ideas off of and, Mm -hmm. and he's going to give it to you straight and, so one of the things that we were coming up with was trying to figure out how to do almost like a floating floor type of thing that's going to have a lot of that heat kind of stay or the the coldness stay beneath the initial flooring. I don't have that luxury with the space I have now. So I ended up moving all my bull snakes down to the very bottom levels of my racks because it is colder. And they instantly, I'm like, I'm talking like within a week. Complete behavioral change. Um, Everything about them just—they calmed down exactly like you said. They didn't. They went from being pissed and angry, like "Holy crap, it's super hot in this room!" to "Okay, I'm comfortable and I'm actually pretty happy now." So you can just leave me the hell alone. Um, But understanding the species, understand, and and again, I'm a relatively new pituophis keeper. Uh, I'm I i have only been keeping them, you know, a few years, and for me, that's new. That's as green as can be. Until you've kept a species, I think, in <laughs> for many years, many, many, many years, I, I I think you should consider yourself a newbie. And anytime that you have somebody with ten plus ex- years experience, take those tidbits of wisdom as much as you can. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, man, you know, learning those kinds of just rethinking, like, hey. I I should put this species down here or maybe in the middle of my room or in the middle of the rack or towards the top uh, because they're going to do better or because they're going to be happier. So I'm glad that you touched on that. That's a great, um, that's a great concept that we, we tend to forget, you know, they're, they're not always all going to be in the same temperature gradient. If you have a, if you have a seven, seven tub rack, the one at the bottom is going to be colder probably nine times out of 10. Yep.
0: yeah so my thought process is when i'm when i'm moving into my new reptile room let's say let's say i move and i'm getting ready yep. to move a whole collection over because i've done that more times than i enjoy
1: it. and <laughs> same
0: when you, when you move into a new space you, you start sizing up what you got right so for yeah. me, it starts from the ground up. I, I look at my floor and then I go up. So I look at what my floor hey, is. Hey, do you
1: think we're gonna get we do you think we're gonna get like a lawsuit from the ground up podcast because we mentioned that name like that? I was hoping I, don't know, man. Get,
0: I was hoping we'd get royalties.
1: Oh, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that Yeah, somewhere. let's roll with that. Okay, because yeah, they're okay.
0: really <laughs> nice and they they make <laughs> money now, right? Corn snakes are back in, right? <laughs>
1: I love corn snakes
0: yeah well okay sorry (laughs) but um (laughs) no so but seriously i do look at at the ground first the first thing i look at in a reptile room is what's my floor um i hate carpet but oh um, my god you can you can manage it uh, as pain in the ass as it is at the very least it does insulate a little bit more for those bottom racks and enclosures. Right. It can work against you if you're trying to get those lower tiers colder, but otherwise it does provide that benefit, but it ends up being a liability and mess, and just another thing that can be a fomite for external parasites. If you have that concern, all of the above. Yep so I don't like it. I prefer hardwood flooring, uh, or concrete at best. Concrete's great. You can pour frigging water all over it. If you've got to drain it, it's the best thing in the world, but I'm spoiled by my, you know, professional life. Um, I just literally throw water on the floor and don't think about it twice. Um,
1: yeah. yep.
0: but so flooring is important. And then, you know, where is your room or building or shed situated? Is it getting direct sunlight? Do you have ventilation? Uh, do you have shade? Do you have insulation? Like, you really have to look at your overall space and how it's going to perform as far as the
1: and windows. Goes. And where those windows are facing yeah windows
0: are super important because ventilation like just air transfer even if it's not a huge fan blowing anything air transfer is big because stagnant air can kill things real quick um just bacteria not going anywhere and transferring it's really gross um you know things are aerosolized much more than we realize so you can get bad and then The other thing you want to look at is like, if you're getting direct sunlight, do you have a way for that air to move out? Can you heat the room in the winter? Uh, Can you cool it in the the hot months? Can you maintain humidity? Do you need to run a humidifier or not based on where you live? So there's a lot of, um, there's a lot uh, to consider when you're looking at your space. But ultimately, every little inch of your floor, wall, ceiling counts. Do you, I mean, that'd be great to have a ceiling fan. Um, I think Travis has one yeah. in his room, and that's great because uh, that pushes uh, hot air down. You know, when heat rises uh, and you can combat that, you essentially eliminate those hot pockets of air that sit at the top of the ceiling. So you, you can sort of level out those. Um, those and funny 30s. enough
1: is is that actually helps with energy efficiency because you're you're using less energy to heat uh-huh. that room if you're circulating that hot air that's up above and pushing it down and getting it into the that room uh, that's a, that's a that that is a huge thing um with efficiency energy efficiency i think is another maybe topic for a, a different um a different episode but um yeah, yeah, I, I, I think that's one thing I don't have in my room currently. Uh, I'll, I'll make sure that I, tr- I try to be do a better effort of maybe doing some video inside my room so people can see it because 2020 is going to be a huge transitional year for my reptile room. Uh, we're going to be doing a bunch of stuff, but one of the primary things that we're going to be doing is actually air circulation, air filtration, and circulation. So bringing in fresh air from outside, cleaning it before it comes inside and then actually getting it outside so um but anyway yeah so so air circulation huge huge yeah um, important topic for sure if
0: if you don't have a ceiling fan in your room you can get a a standalone oscillating fan and run it during certain times of year it doesn't even have to happen like on a daily basis because it does end up um Making it challenging to maintain humidity in certain enclosures if you have air running a lot. Same with uh, certain heaters. So, like if you use those oil-filled heaters, those are really good because they don't put out like forceful heated dry air that really zaps humidity. Um, but yeah, ultimately, when you're when you're putting heat out there, you're you're killing humidity. So, um, as as I'm speaking right now, I have uh, I have three important. Um, Little utilities in my room here. I have uh, a humidifier, I have a little heater, and I have a, an oscillating fan. And uh, I sort of tinker with them based on varying times of the year. I find myself running the humidifier more in the winter than I do in the summer. Uh, cold air tends to zap that moisture out here in Sacramento. Oh, and, yeah. and then because we get cold in the winter, I run the heater. So that also kills a lot of the moisture. I don't run the fan as much in the winter because uh, there's plenty of airflow from uh, me just opening the door as much. And I'm trying to actually insulate it more. And so it ends up adding like a, a, a double layer challenge to maintaining humidity. And I end up getting a lot of dry sheds if, if I'm running the fan too much this time of year. But in the summer, because it can get over 100 degrees, I'm opening the window. I'm running the humidifier a little bit uh obviously the heater is unplugged and packed away in the in the closet but the fan helps to push the hot air out so i'm constantly battling humidity
1: the thing though too is that again kind of circling back to your plan or your room is those specific parameters that you're talking about are based on the majority of the species that you keep right i mean so um again those those parameters are going to be different for for whatever species you are keeping and it's important that we that we are that we are always paying attention to what those are and and that that's going to probably lead into another episode i don't know if we're going to be able to touch on it today or not but the 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 tools to to learn how to regulate those things so what what are you using to to keep track of the temperature, your ambi- uh, to, you know, what are your ambience in your room, what what's your relative humidity in your room. And then individually in each tub, are you measuring each tub, or are you basing it just off of your experience and knowing, okay, I'm getting dry sheds, which means I need to mist a little bit more, or do I need to boost my humid my humidifier? Or there's a lot that we do that comes from experience. That I that I personally need to try to learn how to step back and not take for granted to share with somebody that might be new, because I have to remember they're not used to seeing, you know, let's say let's say somebody that's never had a, a ball python. I'm just gonna I keep going back to ball pythons, and the only reason why is I think just because of the popularity. But if they if they have a ball python and it has a bad shed, it's because your humidity is wrong. I mean, they, the, the you know it's it's either dehydrated or the humidity is wrong. So there's a lot of things you can do to try to help correct that, but it's always going to come back to where is it at in your home or in your reptile room? And what are your keeping parameters, your temperature, your humidity, exactly all the things that you just mentioned, Riley, this air circulation, what time of the year is it? Is it winter? Is it summer? Um, you have to change it. You have to, uh, you have to adapt to the different times of the season. I mean, your room during the summer is going to be 100% different than the time when it's in the winter. Right. I mean, if, if people don't make those changes at the right time, they're going to cause issues with their animals health. And I think that that's something that we need to make sure that we are, um, I think it's something that we need to learn how to pay attention to those specific things in our animal's behavior. If they have a, a, a bad shed, it's not the end of the world. It's not a big deal. I, and I and I get that if you're a new keeper and you have some issues with things and and you, you come across those, you're going to get worried for your animal. And I think that that's probably one of the best things you can do. You reach out to different groups and you might get some negativity from some people. Try to ignore that. Try to look for the people that are giving you the positive, in you know, instructional uh, steps to try to remedy the problem, and then move forward with. Okay, now that you know what the problem was there, how do you adapt to fix that in for its future? Say shed cycle. You had a bad shed. You now know how to take care of that. Now, what do you do to prevent it the next time it happens? So. Anyway, I mean, it's there's so many things that go into maintaining a reptile room. It's not one of those things where you get everything, you know, uh, exactly the way you want it, and then it's just set it and forget it. It's just, it doesn't work that way. It's going to be a constantly evolving, it's almost like a, its own living being, for lack of a better word. Does that make sense, Riley?
0: Oh, it 100% is. I mean, yeah. it, it sort of acts like its own ecosystem
1: is the way I think. Yes.
0: Thank you. Thank, that's like the, the right word. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> no, it really does. Cause of the airflow, the ventilation, the thermal gradient, the, the climate variation day to night, over seasons, it's unique. Um, one of the things that. So basically
1: don't get complacent with
0: it. Well, dude, I mean, keeping reptiles is probably one of the most complex things as far as keeping an animal goes like, Birds are a close second, you know, big hoof stock can be very challenging as well. But like reptiles, dude, you have to know every inch of their climate as well as their natural history and biology in order to succeed. And it's just hundred percent there's a lot of And it's of simple. Layers.
1: Now I mean there are there I mean there are some species that are that are much easier. Sure. There are some species that are that are far more complicated. But generally speaking there is a there is a, a high level of care that's required, but with all that said, don't be discouraged. They are yeah. simple to keep. Yeah. they are very simple to keep.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't mean to dissuade anyone. Are we live in a wonderful time where there's a lot of technology that makes our lives easier? So much technology, and, oh and a lot God, of a easy. lot of people that came before us that figured it out ahead of time. So we really like as much as it seems. Hot um, rocks
1: are the best. Oh, you bastard. <laughs>
0: Um, as much as it seems bad to just regurgitate info, some of that info that's passed on is is potentially good. So but you know what's crazy is we even some of the best keepers they get really good at like managing the details, like lighting, for example. They they, Ooh, they, yes. they know they know exactly Ooh, which. Let's talk about lighting. Work work best and they know which species need uvb and which ones don't and which ones you know are nocturnal so i'm not going to experience it or which ones live at the bottom of the canopy or day baskers, or things like that and they know that so before we get into uvb or any of the lighting i just want to say when you are running a lot of heat light all sorts of things humidifiers fans everything in your room Please, please, please have a good understanding of the breakdown of your circuit load and how it's distributed wherever you live, apartment, house, and make sure you're not about to burn your dang place down running like 8,000 watts on one circuit. Just don't do that. It's really easy to tell. It's really easy to look. Most places when you move in, if you rent or buy a place or whatever it is, it's already written in and labeled you can get a very good idea of which outlets are on which circuit and you can figure out that circuit load real quickly it's simple addition subtraction math and you can just figure out everything you plug in has an energy usage it's always labeled you can simply just add it all up everything that's plugged in add it all up and you can tell whether or yep. not you're going to push your circuit or
1: not and yep. and and knowing the which outlets go to which circuit or breaker yeah. if for, for people that if you you need to understand which outlets are going to which breaker so that you mm-hmm. do have a full understanding of that circuit load uh that i'm so glad you brought that up dude i actually completely forgot about that we were going to talk about that so, i re- i run um, into that
0: all the time and you know when you're renting a place sometimes you don't have the best like labeled systems and it's just not always ideal so sometimes yeah. You, just, you just plug something in and it, and it trips a breaker and you're like, okay, whatever I just plugged in, uh, push this over the limit. So I need to move that to a different outlet. Do not force that. Do not try and right. ignore that. You'll start a fire. So,
1: Well, and, and, and this is a great point, again, that goes back to circling black. I, it always comes down to planning. It, in my earlier years of keeping, I did not plan well. As I matured, I started learning how to plan. So when I got this new home, and this is a big difference between renting and owning. When I came into this home, I have a dedicated shed that's detached from the home. When I moved in, it had nothing. It was framed walls, and that's it. There was nothing. It was, It's finished on the outside. It looks pretty on the outside. It matches the house. Nothing. It was gutted on the inside. Well, guess what? That's a blank canvas. That gave me an opportunity to actually speak with electricians and go, hey, this is what I have planned. And I'd like to make sure that I have X amount of growth or X amount of, uh, of, of cushion or buffer, if you want to call it that, for future growth. What is the best approach to get this done? I know a few people that uh, are, I'm friends with on Facebook that are in the currently they're in the process of building new facilities. and I can tell you right now one of the biggest things that was on their mind from before they even started making a building layout was electricity.: Sure. How are they going? to run that circuit or or what is what are they going to do I was fortunate man I I I was able to run a dedicated breaker or circuit for my reptile room there is one I can go out there and shut everything down off of one breaker right now and I've got tons of room for growth on that breaker which is great because I'm never, I'm never going to reach that. I, I, I built it or I designed it with my electrician to make sure that that I would never get to the point where I could exceed the capacity of that load. Um, and I think that that's an, a critical component for people to plan. If they are in a room, just do what Riley said, pay attention to what your what what that breaker is able to push out to you and stay below that. Just know know what your threshold is
0: yeah and nowadays there's gfi breakers that will trip and circuits will trip and everything so you'll never like have to worry about plugging something in and while you go to sleep your house catches on fire like that's not how it works There's, there's a lot of fail safes in place but um what what's what you need to know is just real basics just what what it can take and it's really easy to do and there's nothing wrong with like having to ask don't be embarrassed about it like we all learn how to do it but the last thing you want to do is just say nah I got it and then
1: you know you have an accident like that's have a critical mistake and lose a collection yeah yeah
0: that's not good so um yeah So that, and that's, that's a tough thing to learn. So chances are somebody in your family might know how to look at all that stuff if you want a second set of eyes. So, but um, let's touch on planning because you were, you were, you were sort of giving us the nice little segue into planning the layout (laughs) for your room. So why don't you, why don't you walk us through when you were moving into a reptile room? And you looking at the room or the space that you've already sort of designated. That's where all my animals are going to go. What, what's,
1: what are you, what are you looking at when you're planning? Yeah, definitely. That's a, um, so when I moved from my previous home to where I'm at now, I was renting at the, in the previous home and I was fortunate that I can keep, I was able to keep my collection inside of the house in one of the extra bedrooms. It was on carpet and I hated it. Oh, I can't tell you how much I'm glad you touched on the carpet. If you can, if you can get away from carpet, just do it if you can. Anyway, so I, I knew roughly the cage, the, 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 you know, the cage stacks that I have um, are the, the primary cages that I have or enclosures that I have are boa files. And then I also have a bunch of racks now when I was moving out of that room, I said, you know, I'm I'm not planning on expanding a lot anytime soon. But if I do, how much more space would I need? I, I, I had more breeding projects. I had other things that I wanted to do. In my very, very optimistic mind, in, I thought for sure that I was going to be getting the two-car garage. I figured in my head, there is no way that that my significant other my amazing wife would say no i don't want them in the in the house or i don't want them in in the garage but and it wasn't that at all she didn't tell me that at all it just was logistically at, at the end of the day i had all the animals in there and i'm and it just wasn't working it wasn't it wasn't um it, it, i don't know how else to say it but it just wasn't working for our family we needed extra storage we needed extra space um and we had this tool shed that was going to be my woodworking shop and i was 100 convinced that this was going to be for woodworking and that's it i mean there was no other way around it and then i really got to thinking about it and i was like you know what this is per- this is a perfect room it's away from the house. I can work, I can insulate it and finish it and get it to be what I want it to be. And so I had a basic footprint already in place for me. Now, if it's somebody that's planning on building a workshop or building a, a snake room or reptile room, and you have that freedom to, to determine what your dimensions are, I think that's great. I think that that's, that gives you a leg up on what your future will hold. What can you keep? What do you currently have in terms of enclosures or racks or cages? And then build according to that size. Um, and then the other thing is also uh, with me having a predetermined size is it made it very easy for me to say, okay, here's my cage stack. It's going to go here. Here are the racks that I have now. They're gonna go here. And then it left me with a little bit of extra room for me to be able to to plan on expansion. Um I use I use something that's called SketchUp. It's a it's a digital a drawing application. It's like a three D drawing application.
0: Sure. Yeah, I know what that is. That's a great program.
1: Yeah. Yeah, SketchUp is really good to learn. I think there's a lot of things that are that are available for people to use online, also for basic layouts. Don't get intimidated. Take the time to learn, and you can do things based on actual dimensions. Take some basic measurements of your racks and just basically make a a, a, a rectangular box of your racks or your cages or whatever it is that you need to do mm-hmm. and then start placing them within the layout of your room and it'll give you a general idea of okay what's going to fit and what's not going to fit uh and that's what i've done now my current reptile room is about to change in a major way um i i've hinted at it uh, in in the previous episode, well, actually, not not the previous episode, but I hinted at it with the episode that we did with NPR, is that my wife actually wants all of the file enclosures in our master suite. She wants all of the she wants all of them in there. That's cool. And that opens up so much space for my reptile room to have more racks, and that's going to be for other colubrids, other pythons, etc. So Again, what am I going to do is I'm gonna lay out I'm gonna clear those out of my current sketchup profile and plan on, okay well, what would work better? What kind of racks would work better? and start drawing stuff in there. If you don't if you're not comfortable with computers, do it on paper. Get your tape measure out. Plan, plan on what you have what you want in there. And then plan on the animals that you have now. I think that's one of the most important things is okay, what animals am I currently keeping? Yeah. Which animals which animals are you are you planning on keeping for an extended period of time because let's say it's a breeding project. I'm going to use my jungles as an example. For a while I got I started getting worried and I went, "Holy crap. I don't have a solid grow-out space for some of my younger jungles." that's a problem. That, that, that was where I failed them as a keeper because I didn't plan for their enclosures. So then I fixed that issue, have the grow out space, have grow out enclosures for them now. Um, and now I need to plan for if, and when I'm successful, I'm I'm pretty confident that I'll be successful at breeding my jungles this, this upcoming season, I'm going to have holdbacks, right? Again, another part of planning. And this goes with learning from, people that I look up to, you know, I, I I reach out to Riley, I reach out to a lot of other breeders that are, you know, let's say Morelia specific breeders. And I say, you know, how should I be approaching this? Or how should I be viewing this? Don't be afraid to be ignorant. It's okay. It, it's, it's okay to say, I don't know what I'm doing. Can you help me out? Because nine times out of 10, the people that answer you back with, you know, good answers are the, are going to be those people that you want to hang out to as friends and, and they're going to give you good, good, honest answers. And, and you look back and you can say, okay, this gives me a plan on how to look into the future. Okay. I need to save X amount of space for future grow outs. And that's how I've planned my current space is that I have probably, if I had to calculate it, I would say, less than half of this room is filled with actual snakes
0: that's a good problem to have
1: yeah i I have a lot of room to expand in this little room and this room is i mean this is just a very small room it's a little humble room and and the, the more i the more time i spend in it i remember man i used to be ashamed like i was like oh my gosh this room sucks because it's so small and and it's not insulated, and it's not finished, and it looks ugly. And I'm like, you know what though? This is my freaking room. Yep. You know, it's like, dude, this is mine. This is my like, my animals are doing good. Now, at first, they weren't because I was. <laughs> it was a. It. At first, you remember, I, I, I was like, yeah. I mean, the the stress level of for my animal anyway that that's maybe for another episode but folks trust me there there was a lot of heartache going into this into this new room but yeah we can uh, definitely
0: do we can do an episode about like the stress that comes in involved uh with moving animals
1: yeah i think that's a really good topic yeah i think strategy i think the 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 execution of moving um i think brandon uh, Wheeler is a good example. I remember just, uh, maybe a couple of years ago, he was talking about, I don't, I don't mean to have to bring him up in a negative way, but I remember him really stressing out. He moved. I I can't remember which state he was in. I don't know if it was Tennessee. It was Tennessee. It was Tennessee. Right. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. some, and he came across, I think during the summer and it Mm -hmm. was hot as shit.
0: Yeah. He lost Um, a couple animals, I think.
1: He lost some animals. I thought, yeah, yeah. and and yeah. it was it was a hard it was a hard that was a really hard time for him because he was like, shit, you know. I mean, he spent a lot of money on these animals. Not it's not about the money, but the emotion and the care and all of the time that goes into them. Well, guess what? I had to deal the same with the same thing. I moved from literally 15 minutes away, but it was it's an entirely different ecosystem this room like you said is an ecosystem yeah and it was and it's different my animals had to learn to acclimate and that's a tough one
0: yeah no for sure i mean uh females tend to be more sedentary than males so it's generally known that females take the disruption of their home base much harder than males males tend to roam quite a bit across a lot of taxa so it's less impactful for them, but it still can be disorienting. Um, And then, yeah, as far as what you were talking about, like having open space, like we, we, excuse me, sorry. That was like a crazy beer burp. Um, We get really, (laughs) (laughs) we, we get really caught up in like the excitement of pushing our projects ahead. And we're like, Oh, well I could get this and, you know, really accelerate things a couple of years. And so, bring animals in because we're like oh we've got space i've got space i've got space i've got space and the next thing you know you're full and you're like well crap we're gonna put all these babies from this season or all the grow-ups from last year that are held back where they're gonna go and right um, yeah so like it's you know sometimes it's really nice to have that extra bedroom that you literally have like 20 percent full and you've got empty racks and empty yeah. cages and and your focus. Like there's nothing wrong with that for sure.
1: But I I think for me personally that's come with trial and error and just maturity. Mm-hmm. I, I would get so excited with acquiring new animals and then all of a sudden oh I just had another I had a crazy beer burp. Wow. Nice. You you end up you end up getting too excited and then all of a sudden you, you, you miss out on future opportunities because you're out of space. And then what are you doing? Then you're having a fire sale or you're having, or then you're, you're, you're refocusing and going, okay, well, which animals do I really not want? I've done that. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's, there's sure. it's okay to do that, you know, yeah, because I, I mean, there's animals I have now that I look and and I, and I really do think about and I say, you know, I, I, I don't see a future with that project for me personally. I, I'm just not that passionate about it. And again, I have to go back to something that, that Nick said on an NPR episode. And it was totally about managing your breeding or your eggs. And it's like if you don't need to do that pairing, just don't do it. So and I think that that's where I'm at with a couple of parents myself leading up to this year. So, um, but I don't know about you, man. I don't know how how you're doing with your space and how you're feeling with your planning. Like, have you? Where Where do you think you've succeeded and where do you see that you've failed? Maybe let's say leading up to 2020. How about like, what what can what can you do? What have you failed in and what have you succeeded in?
0: I have. um at this point in time, failed in baby preparation for the upcoming season. Uh, mainly because uh, between having uh, like 10, no, maybe less than 10, but like let's just say 10. Uh, holdbacks or, or yearlings from this year that I have in my hatchling rack um, that will be there for you know at least another six months. Um, and then some of the offspring that uh, are still for sale or I'm waiting to send out once the weather's better. I have yet to acquire more hatchling space for the upcoming season. Um, and that always gives me a little bit of, uh, a panic. I do have, oh, I don't know, maybe 30, um, open hatchling slots, which is like not enough at all. I think I probably need, you know, another 60 to feel comfortable. So, um, I need to do that. However, what I have succeeded in is, um, uh, adding a couple more, uh, grow out racks for some of the 2018 Brazilian rainbow boas that, um, Nice.
1: those I, are those new AP racks you got, right?
0: Yeah. 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 I moved, yeah. I moved oh, yeah. a bunch of, I moved, uh, half a dozen, uh, 2018s into 32 quart bins and they've, uh, instantly disappeared into all the substrate, uh, they're quite <laughs> content. They're very happy. How
1: awesome is that though, man? Right. Doesn't uh, that make you feel so good to see them like happy like that?
0: It does. Like it, Hell yeah, I man. really can't say that like they're looking at me smiling, but you know what is because <laughs> I can't anthropomorphize them that way. But what I've done is I've, I've I tend um, to do
1: that. I tend to do oh, that. It's
0: hard not to We're people, <laughs> right? It is what it is, but I've taken them from these 15 quart bins that, um, so when I, when I, Uh, have rainbows I start them in six quarts and then once uh, they're maybe four or five months old um, typically by then whatever's left is just hold backs and they go into 15 or 16 quarts whatever they are and then at this point they're a little over a year old and they're outgrowing those tubs quite rapidly so I put them in these 32s and they just disappear in all the substrate. They're super stoked, like they. I can't even see yeah. them in here. And uh, I got absolutely. Uh,
1: you said they're stoked. You said they're stoked. Yeah, I got.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. I got lit up the other day, just like checking on them because they were like really, really in ambush position. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm very pleased to have been able to upgrade a few um, grow outs and things, but. Ultimately, what I need to do is keep saving money for a house because uh, if I keep going at the rate I'm going in two years, yeah, um, I will You'll need double the space. Oh, dude, I'll need triple
1: the space. So...
0: <laughs> we shall see, but um, that's so,
1: and that that leads into another another part of this is that when when is when is that when do we hit that threshold and is that enough or do we need to keep growing because our projects are pushing us towards whether we're, whether we're going for a specific phenotype that we're trying to clean up or do something with, or is it a specific morph that we're after? Do we keep expanding or do we, do we, have to get rid of other animals in order for us to be able to focus on something else. Again, that just all, that's all of that part of planning, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you have to look at a few different factors involved, like what's the demand? Um, what's the the inbreeding variable involved? Is it a concern or not? Um, uh, what's the market like? That, you know, that's kind of an inevitable factor uh, if yeah if you're going to breed them, can you, can you find homes for them? Uh, if not, that's usually a pretty big red flag that you shouldn't. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really, it's a tough gray area question to answer. Um, yeah, that's, it's really tricky because it really depends on the species and every year, you know, certain species are in, in vogue and in not, and some are kind of at the, the low points of their weight yeah. of popularity. And sometimes they're, they're at the high point. So like right now you, you know, you couldn't produce enough ball pythons, but you know, anybody who produces, uh, Madagascar leaf nose snakes, good luck trying to sell them. Uh, <laughs> you know, most people don't even know what that is. So, um, yeah, good point. Good point. So, yeah, I mean, you really have to pay attention to a lot of different variables and be responsible about what it is. Like, uh, I still have a bunch of children's pythons from last season, mostly because half of them don't know how to eat food on their own, but because there isn't a huge market for them. That being said, the adults have since put a bunch of weight back on and they're cycling. Am I going to breed them? Hell no. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, those babies suck.
1: And And there is is no market. Well, and you know what, though? But, okay, so looking at the way that the hobby views breeding, if we we were to take a poll of 10 breeders that had antaresia that are cycling and ready to breed, how many of them would breed them? Four... Just that question alone, how many of them would breed them, in your opinion?
0: As far as like people who have just any anteresia?
1: let's say one out of ten. Let us say we have you're looking at a, at a group of ten breeders that have anteresia that are cycling and ready to breed. How many of them do you think would breed them? For the sake mm. of breeding them, for the sake of getting some babies.
0: Mm. I think again, like seven
1: or eight times out. of, eight you're, you're, out of those, Again,
0: you're talking about like Stimson, Spotteds, all of, that, any of like them. everything, any of
1: them, any of them. I think seven or eight out of ten would end up doing it just for the sake of doing it because yeah, I they can just I, because they can. Yeah, I agree with that. Even though they don't need to. I mean, that's going to be one of those things that it's just uh, you know, it it that's a that's a really tough tough one where how do we judge the hobby and, and, and where it's at based on the market? So, but um, so we're at about an hour and a half, man. We have touched on so much tonight. Um, Do you feel like hitting a few? I mean, we've got so much that, that you've put on, on our, on our bullet points for, for this particular series. I mean, I know there's no way that we're going to hit all of them tonight. Yeah. What do you feel like? What do you feel? So, so I as I, our...
0: as I'm typing out like let's hit lighting and racks or cages. What I will say is, let's save lighting for round two. Okay. And
1: we've let... hit on a lot tonight. Yeah, <laughs> there's well, a lot to ingest, man. Yeah, we'll hit <laughs> we'll hit
0: lighting on round two because there's a lot okay. to
1: unpack
0: uh, with lighting. But I think we can send send off this episode with uh, a potentially tired debate of racks versus cages, um, and the reason why I feel like we can send it off is because it is a tired debate. It is it's something tough. that it is tough, but at the same time, there is a very easily digested gray area answer. That doesn't leave anything unanswered, but allows a lot of interpretation to fall in place that is applicable to a lot of people across the board. So for anybody who's listening, there is a pretty well-known debate in the hobby of keeping animals in racks as unethical or ethical and should you keep them in like a drawer type system? Or should you keep them in a uh, open enclosure with like glass front or plexiglass, sort of like a, a display cage? And um, and, and so it, it, it becomes an ethical thing. The one thing that I want to stress. That literally
1: is like an episode just in and of itself. I mean it that is. topic right there is an episode by itself, so, in my opinion. It is. And the reason <laughs> the
0: reason why I'm like hesitant to give it its own episode is because it it yeah. never, never creates a good ripple effect afterwards. Um Right. It yep. is it is a hot button topic. And there are some it people It really is. And there are some people that have very Shit, strong feeling how, feelings how, how about, long
1: have we been talking about this? As long as Reptile been have,
0: kept in captivity.
1: The, th- who made the first racks? That's who? what I want to know. Uh, that's a good question. Freedom Breeder, right? Well, potentially. I don't know. I think, it, I think it was Freedom Breeder that made the first racks, and it was based off of their mouse racks or their rodent breeding racks, and then they ended up making racks for ball pythons. At least that's what my understanding of the history on it goes. But shit, dude, this is like – this debate goes back as, as far back as I can remember, and uh-huh. there's still – there's still contention between keepers about this.
0: So the, I have I have two very um, maybe we should make an episode out of this, but I have
1: I'm like I'm like 5 beers into this and you're getting me really hot on this subject so, right now. So, if, so <laughs> I have I've had two
0: very logical explanations or what I perceive as logical as to why some people might have these reactions in a negative light towards Rack systems, yeah, and I was talking about this with Joe from from the ground up the other day, yeah. And um,
1: yeah,
0: one of the first things was it, it put so put yourself in the shoes of a, uh, an average American who has no concept of the reptile hobby and the fact that we keep snakes in tubs and rack systems. Okay, so right, what that means is when you see Sterilite or Rubbermaid tubs, you instantly think of what you store things in your garage in sweaters, clothes, like clothes storage, holiday storage, very, very simple kind of stuff that you just put out of sight, out of mind, and you forget and you neglect until that one day of the year. Yeah. So instantly people conjure up ideas of, well, this is just like an object that we pay attention to minimally because that's how it goes and that's what it resides in. So instantly you, you're you fighting an uphill battle. Second thing is um, that that sort of like you can't see through it. It's just a molded replicable plastic thing. It conjures up the idea of mass production, kind of insensitive robot, just quick, like every Kmart and Target has it. And it just kind of seems quick, offhand, insensitive. There's nothing personal about it. And when we think of animals, we think of living beings. And we want them to see, yeah, exactly. It seems very insensitive and inhumane, just off of like the the natural human instinct. So what would happen... If the industry standard was using those like super high end hard plastic clear Cambro tubs or something that was just super clear and transparent, food grade, looked yeah. elegant because when it's clear, it's glassy, it's shiny, it's elegant, it's clean, it's pristine. <laughs> but like those words, they might seem cheesy and cliche, but that's what our subconscious is resonating with, right? When we look at an exhibit that is has clean glass and it's it's clear and all so there's like there's ways to to really to influence what the human mind and brain perceives and when we just use sort of semi opaque clear tub because as reptile keepers we know these animals probably prefer not to see us passing by them 24/7 but the average person doesn't and we, we do all this stuff because we see them differently. It's, it's not only a perception thing, but it's the lens that we see through things or see things through compared to them. Uh,
1: here, here's the thing, man, uh, I, I am not inclined to allow somebody that doesn't know reptiles influence or change the way I keep my reptiles
0: sure that's that's appropriate so
1: now i have a rack with cambro tubs Mm -hmm. and i love it i actually want to build because commercially there aren't any racks out there that accept cambro tubs and the only the only reason i want to use cambro tubs is because of their high temperature what's the word i'm thinking man uh tolerance. Thank you. See, that's why, that's why I hired you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, but they have a very high temperature tolerance Mm -hmm. and they are excellent. Mm -hmm. They are solid, easy to clean. Uh, They make it very easy for me to look in to those tubs, see what's going on. The snakes don't prefer that. I think in, I, I think in most situations, most species actually don't prefer it. Now, What's the difference of me providing a tub for a small species? Now, we, I mean, we got to take it back. Oh, man. This can literally, we can go on for another hour and a half or an hour and 40 minutes on this exact topic. I, I swear. I know. So, so, okay. If I have an animal that is getting provided with the most perfect heat humidity, and prey item. That is the only thing that they care about for the first few years of their life. That's the only thing that they do out in the wild is they look for shelter. They look for the, the right, you know, the right parameters for their health. Mm -hmm. Typically that's going to be what basking temperatures, make sure that they are getting some, some water and that they're able to eat. then they're going to go and they're going to hide right so if i'm able to provide that for them in an enclosed environment you are literally giving them the best life that they could have like i mean listening to eric and owens trip about being in australia and live and listening to what the, the the hard life that our carpet pythons and i have to always go back to my morelia because Deep, deep down, man, that i that's my love. I, I love Morelia. Yeah. They live a hard, hard life looking for food. They might have a dedicated burrow where they're going to go and hide, and most of their life is going to be spent protected from the elements in this burrow or in this hide. Yep people that are people that are ignorant to reptiles aren't going to understand that a ball python is going to live about 90% of its life inside of a freaking burrow where it's black and dark and perfect humidity and perfect temperature they come out they hunt they eat they're going to go back down inside and digest and stay there until they're ready to come back out and hunt again they're not going to come back out every they're going to look in their on their clocks and go oh Looks like I'm on my in between my 5 to 10 day period. I need to now go back out there and eat again. No, they might have a huge meal. They might go in there. They might be stuck there for another month or two digesting and chilling, relaxing. They might not come back out again for another 2 or 3 months and say, "I don't need to. Why the hell am I going to expend that much energy? Yeah. To go out and hunt again because I don't need to." Absolutely. So I I don't find myself in the mood to have to adjust my keeping methods because somebody that's ignorant to keeping reptiles is butthurt about me (laughs) keeping a a, a cage, you know, let's say a a snake in a tub or in a cage. If I'm providing them a tub, that's the same size as as a cage. If if we're going to talk, talk about tubs and racks, I'm going to talk about, Dumeril's boas. I just moved Dumeril's boas. I've had adults for a few years now. I had them in larger enclosures, big, wide-open windows, constantly striking at the windows, causing stress, Mm -hmm. causing causing damage on their snouts.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, You've seen pictures of my one of my adult females. That was nasty the the amount of uh, the amount of infection and damage that she did to her own nose, I just moved them into an, an into a new rack, or a new quote unquote used rack.
0: That that Christmas tree tub rack, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a V. It's the VE one seventy five Herp, by Herptastic. Tastic. It's yeah, a great those rack. Those are. Amazing. It's a great rack. It basically is a four foot enclosure in a tub.
0: Nice. What is rack. the
1: difference? <laughs> I love nice racks.
0: Nice rack. <laughs>
1: I love nice racks. What is the difference? What is the what is the difference? So, in a four foot enclosure, I have basically the, the majority of that four foot enclosure visible, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So now I've now I've now condensed that to basically about twenty two. If, if I if my dimensions are right, about twenty two inches of that are now a opaque tub. I have yet, Riley, not once have I had a strike against the front of that tub. Yeah. They look, There's. it's spacious. Mm-hmm. They're eating. They're drinking. They're shitting. They're pissing. Everything that they're supposed to be doing now, and they're actually digging. Oh, that's another one. I've put in more bedding in there now and they're, and they're actually going in underneath the bedding and they are doing better. So for me as a keeper, I've kept my jumeral's adults in these larger enclosures for a few years now. And now that I've switched them over to this, I on, I, I have no reason to say I need to go back to big open enclosures. Sure so now there are some species i've had people yell at me oh i can't believe you put your pituophis inside of 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 a of a tub well guess what she's not striking at the front of the enclosure yeah every time i walk walk by
0: she's also not rubbing her face on the edge of like a plastic frame or anything like that trying to get out the glass door because she can see a way
1: up but can't figure it out right yeah. I have some jungles in tubs and I have some jungles in enclosures. Um, with with the Morelia, I haven't seen much of a difference. I, I, I've put in, in terms of floor space, so if I look at the square inches, I actually measured the square inches. So the V70 tubs are larger by square inch enclosure than what I had or tub versus what I had some of my grow outs in smaller enclosures. And they're doing fine. Yeah. Uh, I don't get to enjoy them. I, I think I think maybe on the personal level as a keeper, not seeing them visibly, um, that would be something I I, I can actually equate to, to not enjoying them as much. But what if their health and their their, their I don't want to say psychological behavior, um
0: no, it's relevant though. Like their emotional well-being is one hundred percent relevant. Yeah. Like I, when I, when I had this very strict routine where I was checking on uh, every single um, enclosure and tub, this and that, AM, PM, I found uh, that I was seeing behaviors that I could very easily relate to uh, patterns of stress. Uh, in my animals that I was checking too much and, uh, just like backing off and leaving them be made a huge difference in terms of them, um, just not freaking out, not twitching as much, just kind of being more at ease with the routine of things. So there is such a thing as like stressing them out to that point. You can 100% get there. So, um, yeah there is such a thing as, like, letting them have their space, so, um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things, like, it depends on the species, there are certain species that, uh, I have raised up in tubs and racks and bins, and then moved them into glass front enclosures as adults, and watched them deteriorate from stress and dehydration and you know glass allows a lot of heat transfer so it doesn't surprise me that a snake is going to be much more reactive to a glass paneled enclosure versus a a plastic
1: enclosure
0: um we already know that um most snakes don't see that well yeah
1: insulating material too yeah oh, glass that's is a terrible whole other episode yeah glass yeah is horrible
0: yeah you cannot maintain a good uh thermal thermally regulated enclosure and environment like you can do and so it's still much. a
1: standard in the hobby yeah it's terrible how, how is that yeah it's i terrible. don't know i don't know I really oh it's God. just yeah
0: that's another episode for sure
1: yeah that's a whole other episode so
0: sure. but yeah i mean what we'll do is we'll continuously relate these different threads and ideas that we have uh related to establishing a reptile room back to some of these hot topic or hot topic um sort of like base ideas such as racks versus enclosures things like that and and we'll just sort of continue to uh bring up all these different things that are relevant to your style of keeping but as I'm saying that we are, we're, we're getting close to uh, a wrap up (laughs) time. (laughs) And, and there's definitely going to be um, like an ongoing series of, of what goes into establishing your reptile room, it'll be sort of like our theme, uh, revisited topics. So uh, we have what we are looking at is a massive outline right here. Uh, that can be added to and unpacked even further beyond what it it currently stands at. So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to probably wrap this up here and uh, just kind of sign off, and uh, and we'll bring this back up at the next time. Um, Definitely. So this episode will be airing, what did you say, uh, January 15th?
1: Uh, We are looking at January 15th for this episode to be airing. And just remember everybody to make sure that you subscribe. uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Uh, We're going to try to get everything situated on different platforms for you to be able to listen to everything. And just remember, of course, Instagram, Facebook at Reptile Room Podcast. And then on our website, ReptileRoomPodcast.com. We'll have a dedicated player on there for you guys to be able to listen to it and enjoy it. There's so much more. Hopefully you enjoyed tonight's episode on what we're calling our Reptile Room Essentials series. This is part one. There's so much. I know we went off on some tangents, uh, but they're important tangents. There's so much that is involved in keeping the animals that we love so much. So just remember, reach out to us. Let us know if there's anything that you want us to talk about. There's so much more that we have that is going to be dedicated to this series. So we look forward to just moving forward and, and, and talking about all the amazing things that there are to include in your reptile room.
0: Absolutely. And, and, uh, as much as it means more work for us, uh, I, I would be, I would be, <laughs> yeah, I, would be true. I would be remiss if I didn't say that, uh, this month this this beautiful beautiful coming january will result in a, a three episode month if we are to stick to our every other week uh schedule we'll get it done so we'll get it done the
1: 29th we'll be we'll have another episode drop on the 29th i'm saying yeah. it right so now so I'm we holding us to it
0: we will be blessing your ears with one hell of a kickoff month hopefully all goes well so what uh, what we're going to do is we're going to put a pin in this this series and we're going to continuously add to it and continuously take all of your uh, suggestions, questions, anything that you feel like we uh, missed or, or glazed over or things that you would like to be added into this Reptile Room Essentials series. We'll definitely put that in there. And uh, so for for myself... You can find me at Riley's Reptiles on Instagram and Facebook and all that good stuff. Riley Jim is on YouTube. The show, as Andy mentioned, is Reptile Room Podcast at Instagram and Facebook and all that good stuff. We're going to have uh, the reptileroompodcast.com up very soon. Uh, it might even be up by the time you're hearing it. Uh, it will be up. Yeah. So promise. We, we will be putting all this up. And by the time you're hearing this, you'll have heard the promo episode one. This is episode two. And uh, Andy, why don't you take us on out?
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. Thank you so much. So everybody, you can find me at Andy Ray Reptiles on Facebook, uh, Area Reptiles on Instagram. And uh, I just want to encourage everybody again, reach out to us, give us your topics, let us know what you want to hear. We have so much more to provide. We have friends um, that are in this industry that are so deep and know so much that we would love to just be able to share their insight and their knowledge and wisdom. We do not claim to know all the answers to all of your questions, but we will certainly try our hardest to try to find the right people to answer your questions. So from the Reptile Room podcast team, uh, this is episode two and part one of the Reptile Room Essentials series. All right, guys, have a good one and we will talk to you very soon. Cheers.